don't have tons of time, and we have a huge text to cover. So we're just going to jump right in. Uh, we are in Mark chapter 13, and we are going to preach through all of Mark chapter 13. It is 37 verses, and um, I want to ask you one thing. Um, like every Wednesday, um, I would love your grace as I try to communicate this text as clearly as I possibly can. Um, the unique thing about this text is... Uh, it is all about like future, it's about prophecy, it's about um, apocalyptic literature, things that have yet to take place, and it's extremely difficult to understand. I was having a heck of a time understanding this text, and to be completely honest with you, it's still a little bit of a blur. And so I'm asking for grace to be extended as I try to communicate this cl as clearly as possible. And, and instead of uh, standing together and reading the text in full, we are going to take this chunk by chunk we're going to read it. We're going to talk about it, how it applies to us. And so we're going to start with Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. If you are taking notes or reading your Bible with your paper Bible or in the U version, I would encourage you to take notes. The cool thing about the U version app today is there's about five or six resources at the end of the plan um, that helps you maybe dive in deeper to this passage and help you understand deeper the things that are happening. So uh, Mark 13, one through four, it says, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? Jesus replied. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when these things happen, or when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? So here we have Jesus and his disciples. They are leaving the temple in Jerusalem. Um, I have some pictures of like a model of what this temple would look like. It is this huge um, structure. Do you have those pictures? Awesome. So this is not, the, the temple is non-existent right now. So this is a model of what the, the Jewish temple would look like. Let's go to the next picture. You can see all of these different rooms, all of these different areas. This was a beautiful temple adorned in gold and beautiful stonework. Let's go to the next picture. Um, here's another model. Next picture. So here is the site of where Jesus is about to teach his disciples about um, the, the temple and the ages to come. This is a view from the Mount of Olives to where the temple would have been. And so in, in verses 5 through 13, Jesus begins to talk about the signs um, of the end times to his disciples. Because disciples ask us, like, when are these things going to take place? So let's read verses 5 through 13. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils, flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Verse 11, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. 
Brother will betray brother to death and father his child and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So there's a lot happening right here. These are the signs of the ends to come. So I want to summarize of what Jesus just said. He said that many will claim to be the Messiah. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be nation against nation. They will fight against each other. There will be earthquakes. Christians will be arrested and questioned about their belief in Jesus. When you are arrested, he encourages them. Uh, The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. He said that the gospel must be preached to all nations. Families will betray one another and children will put them to death. Everyone will hate Christians, but those who stand firm will be saved. Okay, everybody just take a deep breath right now. Okay, we're going to take a couple of those through this sermon, okay? So Jesus tells his disciples that these are some of the signs of the end times. If you read the New Testament, you'll notice that almost all of those things took place already. And yet the second coming of Jesus has yet to come. It didn't happen. Christians have been arrested and questioned People have claimed to be the Messiah. There has been wars. We know this. There have been rumors of wars. In history, we have seen those things as well. Families betraying one another. Wars and rumors of wars. And one that's kind of impossible for us to really know is, has the gospel been preached to all nations? Like, we don't don't know that. But it makes us ask a literary question. What did Jesus mean when he said, the end, and and when the time is coming. Did he simply mean it will happen after I'm talking to you? So anything after this conversation on the Mount of Olives, like, is that the end times? Is that what he's talking about? And what we can see is that in verses 32 through 37, we'll read it in just a few moments, but it seems to affirm this idea because Jesus says that the angels in heaven nor Jesus knows when the time is going to Happen. So he's not really talking about a specific or literal time period. But Jesus goes on, verse 14. He says, When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe. For the false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even to the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. So verse 14, it says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation. Can I say something? Uh, When I was uh, researching this whole entire chapter to to prepare this sermon, this sentence popped out in a commentary. It was really encouraging. It says uh, about verse 14 in this whole chunk of the Gospel of Mark. It is one of the most difficult verses in Mark's Gospel, if not the whole New Testament. I was like, perfect. Thank you for that. This is really encouraging, and I'm excited to preach this sermon tomorrow. 
But so I asked the question, okay, like what is the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong? Like to us in the 21st century, 2021, almost 2022, how many of you guys know what this means? Exactly. My hand is like half up because I like half understand what this means. And in your version app, all of those links at the bottom, there's a couple links um, to articles that dive even deeper into what that means. But I'm going to do my best to explain what this means. Um, the, this phrase is derived from the book of Daniel in chapter 9, verse 27. It says this, he, the Antichrist, will, perf- will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, which this one seven means seven years. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Daniel also references this in a prophecy in in chapter 11, verse 31. It says, His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. And then finally, Daniel says this in uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 11. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. So the original word translated abomination is something that is repulsive to God. Repulsive to God. The original word translated desolation suggests that because of this abomination and the thing that is repulsive to God, that is what causes the temple to be deserted and abandoned. So Daniel was prophesying about future events that would happen to the nation of Israel. So in these three passages, Daniel predicts five things. And we just read them. I want to summarize them for you. The first one, a future ruler will make a treaty with the people of Israel. Two, the terms of this treaty will be for a week, which will take, uh, which we take to be a period of seven years. Midway through this time, the ruler will gather his troops, put an end to the sacrifices and offerings in the temple. At that time, the ruler will desecrate the temple, setting up some type of sacrilegious object. The desecration of the temple will continue until the judgment of God is finally meted out on the ruler and his followers 1,290 days later. And here's where the confusing part starts. Um, not, no one knows for certain if the exact details of, of profaning the altar. No one really knows exactly what that's going to look like. There's a few theories. Uh, King Articus IV in 167 BC, we'll talk about it in a second, or was it the fall of the temple at the hands of the Romans in 70 AD, or is it speaking to the future Antichrist that is to come? And it seems like some of Daniel's predictions made 400 years prior came true with King Antiochus IV, I think it. So who was this guy? He was a a Syrian king who invaded Jerusalem and violated the temple in a big way. He desecrated the temple by offering swine's flesh on the great altar and by setting up public brothels in the sacred courts. Before the very holy place itself, he set up a great statue of the Olympian Zeus and ordered that the Jews worship it. Daniel's uh, prophecy was partially fulfilled in this event, but it was not the end. There was a future abomination that would come. Was it the temple being destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans? Um, The preterist, the preterist, Kaylee, preterist, preterist, 
I don't know. It's, it's one of those two. Um, this view believes that this uh, event was what Jesus was referring to in Mark 13, and therefore the abomination of desolation has already taken place. While the, the preterist view is not fully agreed upon, there are some of the preterist views that are more widely accepted. For example, in verse 2, when Jesus says, no one, not one stone here will be left on another, everyone will be thrown down, that literally happened in 70 A.D., with the Romans. Every single stone on the temple was collapsed. All of the, they set fire to the area. All of the gold in the temple was burned and melted down and literally nothing was left. And the Christians and the Jews, they fled to the mountains to escape the Romans and their lives were spared. So we see that some of this actually and literally took place in 70 AD. The opposite of this view is called the futurist view. This view sees the abomination of desolation prophecy as still future. This view believes Jesus was referring to the Antichrist who in the end times will establish a covenant with Israel for seven years, Daniel chapter 9, and then break it by doing something similar to what King Antichus IV did in the temple. The sacrilegious object Jesus called the abomination of desolation could be the image of the beast that the Antichrist's right-hand man, the false prophet, will order to be set up and worshipped. And you can look at that more in Revelation chapter 13. The temple in Jerusalem has yet to be rebuilt since the destruction in 70 AD. For the futurist view to be fulfilled, the temple in Jerusalem will need to be rebuilt before the seven-year tribulation begins. There's a small group of Jews um, in Jerusalem that are passionately pursuing for the temple to be rebuilt so they can sacrifice animals for their sins to begin to fulfill the prophecy. Because that's the huge part of what the temple symbolized for the Jewish people. That was before Jesus. That was where the presence of God dwelt literally dwelt in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And what the Jews would do is they would sacrifice an animal so that there would be a life that was given to pay for their sins and they would be, become right with God. The problem with this passion that the Jews have trying to rebuild the temple is it's not directed at honoring God. It's to bring about the fulfillment of this prophecy on their own absent of God. It's to deny what Jesus did on the cross in our place for sin. Christians believe that all sacrifice uh, for sin was finished at the cross, and any further sacrifice for sin is an offense to God because it denies the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Deep breath. <sighs> okay. Let's keep going. One of the parts of Daniel's prophecy that was not fulfilled by King Antichus IV or the Romans is a leader was not set into place and made a treaty with Israel. And Daniel says this is part of the mark of the tribulation. After the Antichrist breaks the treaty with Israel halfway through the tribulation, it says that the next three and a half years will be some of the worst times in history. Matthew 24, verse 21 for then there will be great distress or tribulation, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. And this is hard for us to realize because when you look at history, 
It's extremely sobering to think that the tragedies that have taken place. You think about in, in 1343, the bubonic plague killed 25 million people in Europe. They literally feared for their lives that the whole like nation of Europe would be wiped out. In a book, I have this quote from this guy. I don't know what his name is, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. He estimates that around 167 to 175 million people have been deliberately extinguished by politically motivated carnage. So how can this great tribulation be any worse? This is a lot of dark-sounding stuff, am I right? It's kind of hard to swallow. It's kind of hard to ingest what's taking place. Is there any good news? We'll totally talk about your question in small groups, okay? Do you want to write it down or save it for then? That's a great question, and he didn't say in the quote. I'm sure in the book he probably says politically what that exactly means, but it didn't say like in the blurb that I was reading. It's a good question, though. So how can the, the Great Tribulation be any worse? Um, is there any good news? Let's keep reading. Verse 24. In those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, um, which literally just means everywhere, from the ends of the earth to the ends of of the heavens. So this great tribulation, the second half, the three second half three and a half years of the tribulation will signal the second coming of Jesus. He will come to the earth with the saints in heaven to gather those who have come to Jesus during the tribulation and have survived. He will also overcome the beast, the false prophet, throw them into the lake of burning fire of sulfur and this is laid out in Revelation 19. So here's another question. Who are the elect that Jesus is referring to in verse 27? The elect are true believers, those who submit to Jesus as the Messiah and Savior, who trust him for the forgiveness of their sins, counting on his righteousness to make them acceptable to God. Are you still with me, kind of? Ish? Okay, cool. So we're going to wrap up here in a few minutes, and we're going to go into our small groups and kind of try to debrief this. Verses 28 through 31. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. <laughs> Here he tells the story. As soon as the twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door, the second coming of Jesus. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I want to read this quote to you, David Guzik. The fig tree has a regular pattern. When you see the leaves, you know summer is near. In the same way, when these signs, particularly the abomination of desolation, appear, the world can know that the triumphant return of Jesus is near, right at the door. So in this context, generation doesn't mean a literal like 40-year generation. Jesus is most likely referring to mankind as a whole or the Jewish race as a whole not passing away before these things have happened. So here's a question that people have been asking for centuries. How will we know for sure that these events are happening and when Jesus will be returning? And it's a great question. I've asked this question many times. I asked this question many times in, the, in prepping for this sermon. 
And people have tried to pinpoint the events and predict the second coming of Jesus forever. In the past two years, there have been plenty of people who have said that the the end is near because of worldwide disease, political turmoil in the U.S., and other things. And this can cause a lot of tension and stress upon a person, which can also cause a Christian to live in fear. But we serve a God that is not of fear. We serve a God that is full of hope. And here's a little bit of encouragement. Verse 32, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. People will go their entire lives speculating and predicting the coming of Christ. And I just want to say this, and I read this quote as I was prepping, and it it hit me. If someone predicts the coming of Christ, they are false. Because Scripture literally says, only God the Father knows when Jesus the Son will be sent to earth for the second time. And many people attribute different events happening throughout history and have made claims that the time was near. But the interesting thing is, the writers of the New Testament and Jesus himself said that the time is near thousands of years ago. For example, 2 Timothy 3, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. When this was written... The times were difficult, and it was happening already. 2 Peter 3, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Did you know that the scoffers were already in the midst of these people that he was writing to? Hebrews 1, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The first coming of Christ uh, ushered in this final season of world history, these last days, and his second coming is the next major step in history. So what do we do? This is the biggest part of this. This is the biggest application of this entire text. There are these two questions. What do we do in the meantime? What do we do while we wait? Jesus answers the question, verse 33, be on guard, be alert, because you do not know when the time will Come. And it leads to another question. What does it mean for a Christian to be on guard and be alert in the meantime? First of all, Jesus tells us to be aware of these things and to look for these things, but not to be consumed by these things. We don't know when it's going to happen. It's pointless for us to try and figure it out and master it. But this doesn't mean that we are to be lazy and not prepared. Ephesians 5 says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So friends, take charge of your faith and live life in such a way that reflects what Jesus has done for humanity. Like we referenced last Wednesday in Matthew 5, being a person of gentleness, hungering for righteousness, who is a person who is merciful and gentle and pure in heart. And so Jesus gives an illustration um, to his disciples, a parable about how to be on guard and alert. And we're actually going to skip it so that we can go to our small group. So um, the application that I want to leave us with, the big idea that I wanted to leave us with is the end times will come. But in the meantime, believers are to be faithful stewards of the gospel. If I could leave you with one thing, it is that. 
The end times will come, but in the meantime, believers are to be faithful stewards of the gospel. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the next 10 minutes. I know it's not very long. Maybe we could fudge out a couple more minutes and be a couple minutes late if you need it. It's totally fine. Maybe we'll go 15 minutes. But I want us to discuss these few questions in our small group. And so uh, we're going to break off into our regular small groups tonight. So um, the guys are in the back. The girls are in the front. Um, High school is on this side of the room. Middle school is on this side of the room. And uh, your small group leader will dismiss you at the end.